3: Today on Barca Talk, the venue of the Copa del Rey final might be decided before we get to the semifinals this year. Emphasis on might. The newer and younger Barca B chalked up their first win, and the women's team had a rough go in Kazakhstan. And the first team slugged out a win in San Sebastian, despite playing at one of the tougher stadiums in Spain. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, coming to you from Buffalo, New York, and joining me as per usual is Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid.
0: Brian, what's going on? Happy Sunday to you, buddy.
3: Happy Sunday. You just came from brunch. You did one of the most American things. I did. I'm having, I'm, you know, I'm
0: having a really good Sunday. I went to the gym this morning. Oh. Um, you know, I burned some calories, and I then I replenished those calories with pancakes and eggs. That's
3: the circle of life.
0: Correct. Uh, I had a couple mimosas there. Now we're recording. And then after this, I'm headed to another friend's house to watch a little NFL Sunday. And she's making a buffalo chicken dip. So can this Sunday get any better? I don't know. I don't think so.
3: I don't think (laughs) so, because we just watched uh, Barcelona beat Real Sociedad on the road yesterday. And then, as it turns out, uh, Athletic Club drew Real Madrid. So good news. Good weekend for all for all parties involved.
0: Correct. It was uh, a good result. Uh, I did not watch the match. I just kind of checked the score and I, and I said, "Yep, that <laughs> is how you slip up. It slip up in La Liga, right? You just have to get those points." And thank you, Athletic Bilbao, for uh, for getting a nice uh, performance there in the Salomez against Real Madrid.
3: Yeah, and I, actually, I got to tell you real quick this this past week has been this thing came up with my car. There's I, I might I might be having some transmission problems, which are Never good, always expensive. Hopefully, it's not too bad. I mean, the car still drives, so it could be worse. And it's just a, a small thing. Hopefully, it's, it's not going to be too bad. But I'm, I'm dreading taking it in this week, tomorrow, Monday, actually, to, to see what's going on with it. So, but apart from this great weekend, there's a little bit of storm clouds on my horizon, potentially. Not too excited about it.
0: Those transmission problems, man, those, that's, that could be very, very costly. Yeah, I mean- Cars, man. I know. That's one of the things I love about here. I don't have a car, man. It's it's glorious. I don't have to ever think about those type of maintenance issues ever, which is super nice.
3: Yeah. But anyway, that was just a little bit about me and what's going on in my life. Well, let's get into Barcelona life. We have a couple of news items. Uh, the first one is that Malcolm, as it turns, I just realized this or learned this yesterday. Uh, Malcolm has injured his ankle, uh, and this happened week before last and that's why he wasn't on the squad that went to San Sebastian to play Sociedad. But he is projected to be back in training this week. So all in all, not too bad. But it does delay the, you know, his working into the the atmosphere, the surroundings, and the, the tactical strategies and everything uh, in, in the training ground at, at FC Barcelona. So it's, it's slowed up his... Um, assimilation into val green's squad
0: yeah but you know at the same time it's it's a minor injury so it's only going to be a week out so you have a good point but at the same time it's it's a very minor injury he'll be back to training very soon and hopefully he'll be getting more playing time as well we could have used him yesterday in the san sebastian match i think that match was prime for a malcolm appearance
3: yeah but maybe we'll see him against girona perhaps um because the the schedule is we're going to get into this later but the schedule is starting to thicken up because now that we're back from the international break this is where the season really starts we've got La Liga we have Champions League pretty soon we're going to have Copa del Rey so we're going to have those midweek matches coming regularly and uh, I have to say I'm actually pretty thankful that it so far this small injury that Malcolm has sustained is the only injury we've had which is good so we're we're off to a decent start Uh, Busquets or Sergio Roberto, they didn't get injured on the international break, you know, because it's always a bummer when you go off for international break and then you get injured and you come back to club and you can't even play. That's that's a real hassle. So they came back uh, basically fit, healthy, maybe a little bit tired. But so far, so good as far as the injuries.
0: Yeah, so far, so good. Like you said, the the games coming up now are going to be a little complicated, um, especially with the Champions League coming up. So this is where the the early part of the season where our bench is going to be used. And we're going to see how Valverde uses the substitution and the depth of our bench.
3: Yeah. Now here's another thing. We talked about this on Thursday on our Patreon uh, episode, and it was actually before it aired. So uh, Pep Guardiola did this interview with Jorge Valdano that aired last Thursday. And I only got to see the trailer on Twitter, but it was, it was one of those trailers that excites a fan such as myself, because apparently in this interview, Pep said that uh, I'll finish where I started my last steps, hopefully at Barca. And we talked a little bit about this, like I said, on Thursday, did you wind up watching this program? I haven't
0: watched it yet, but I am going to try and watch it within the next couple of days. Uh, I'm going to check it out. It is on my movie star on demand. So it's ready and available for me to watch it. So I'm excited to see it. I always love uh, sports documentaries and behind the scenes. So I'm going to, check it out and see what he says and like we talked about I think it'll be very curious actually I think it'd be a great move for him to come back to Barcelona and actually kind of just run La Masia and just run the youth program for FC Barcelona I think that would be uh, a great fit and I think he would ultimately become the new Cruyff for us uh, someone that is going to be have his hands on all the youth development and also just making sure that the players from La Masia are are getting opportunities in the senior team as well.
3: Yeah, when you invoked Cruyff, that's exactly what I was thinking, because he's such a uh, Cruyff disciple and, you know, some would argue a a development on Cruyff's, not just his tactics, but his whole approach to youth systems and the club in general. It, it, It would seem to me to be very fitting that he would return to Barcelona and take on that kind of you know, father figure role at Barcelona, just as Cruyff did. I mean, there were there were even seasons where it seemed like Cruyff was still trying to manage, but but from behind closed doors or something. But I don't, I don't wouldn't imagine that coming from Pep. Uh, I think he's he's generally a little bit more transparent about things. Um, and not to say that Cruyff was ever, you know, Machiavellian or anything, but but trying to maybe at times be a bit of a puppet master behind the scenes. But I do think that Pep would be exactly, you know, in following in with with Cruyff in in coming back to the club and you know having an influence on it and I think it would be great not just for La Masia but for how that all shakes out into the first team I mean having someone with his his mind for football but also his his commitment to the club his love of the club and his charisma would just be someone you'd like you got to have that guy if you can have him somewhere in the organization where he can use those skills to help the club
0: yeah i think it's a good point point. and if anything he could just have less stress uh just kind of you know work you know four to five days a week there just be around the players be around the facilities and just kind of be a, the scouting, you know, for the senior team. And I think that would be a really great role for him long-term, you know, after he finishes maybe at Man City. I think Man City will probably ultimately be his last uh, managerial role. I just – because the way he is so intense for those four to five years, you know, it's very hard for him to continue that. And like I said, I just – you know, it would be such a coup for us to have him back uh, just doing the scouting, the development, and just having that keen uh, eye for tactics just to help us prolong – Excellence at FC Barcelona.
3: Yeah, and I also like the fact that he's said already publicly, even though he's still working as a manager in England, you know, he's he he comes out on Thursday and says, This is what I would like for myself in the future. And I think when he says something like that, I I feel like the the boardroom is at Barcelona is probably saying, Well, yeah, we're gonna we can make that happen for sure, and we should. It also reminds me of how vocal Chabi has been about wanting to come back to Barcelona. I mean, I'm I'm still counting the days, just more in the back of my mind, but just counting the days until he comes back to Barca as a manager in some capacity.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I really hope he does come. Uh, I just want to see what he can provide, you know, obviously getting some experience maybe with the youth team first. But, I mean, that is the dream, right, to have a La Masia player with his credentials his playing history and everything to come back and become the manager and uh kind of instill what we love about FC Barcelona back to the senior team
3: yeah and then and then all we need is to bring Iniesta back in some way once he's done playing and it'll just it'll be like you know the graduating class that won all the homecoming championships coming back and now they're the teachers and the coaches at the high school it would <laughs> exactly
0: hopefully just you know yeah but, you know hopefully we just continue that excellence with those two obviously it would be great if if iniesta could come back in some capacity as well but obviously xavi with his um the coaching that he's trying to get and being so vocal about it i think that's it's it's in the cards and it's going to happen
3: now finally uh, this is another thing that we have already talked about last thursday on the patreon special episode and this was something that i thought you would be particularly uh, open to and interested in the RFEF are working on setting the Copa del Rey final venue for the next two years, according to sport. But uh, as we talked through last week, the Federation are handling it as a, a bidding process from the handful of stadiums that can meet the standards for the Copa del Rey final. But if this gambit does pay off and they actually get bids from the various stadiums, this year's venue will be selected after the competition start, but sooner rather than later. And next year's venue would also be set this year. So we would, the, everyone would know before next season even begins where the Copa del Rey final would be, if this whole thing works.
0: I mean, it's a step in the right direction, right? To have something of the final to already be set so people can get excited and to travel to these places. The only thing I don't like is that the venues have to, to place a bid or bid for those I just don't think a lot of those stadiums are going to want to. I think the RFUF should kind of just pick and choose and just have that random order go through. As we talked about, all the stadiums that they could use, You know, Valencia, um, the two in Barcelona, uh, Bilbao, the two in Sevilla, obviously the two here in Madrid. So I just think if you just rotate them and just have it, I think it just creates such a buzz for the Copa del Rey and obviously just to have the, the teams already planning – Obviously, this is a good thing for the future of the Copa del Rey because now it's going to be more, you know, the venue is going to be set and obviously uh, just create a little bit more buzz for the Copa del Rey because lately it just hasn't had the same kind of buzz as years before.
3: Well, just as you were saying, though, it does depend on the clubs who reside in these stadiums to actually make those bids. And uh, you were saying to me on Thursday how they might not because they, they, they might just through abstention keep things at the status quo and at the same time I'm not sure that the RFEF has the authority to just say to these clubs here this is where we're doing it and you you have to deal with that I don't think they have the authority to do that and I I like your idea that they could just choose these things and choose the rotation and uh and force their will upon <laughs> upon the clubs and the stadiums but I don't think that they actually have the authority to do that there's always this You know, this uh, sometimes tense, sometimes not so tense, but there there's definitely a a relationship of negotiation between the Federation, the league and the individual clubs and thus their stadiums, their properties.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these stadiums, they they, are these teams. They need to be shown how much potential money they could earn from this one type of venue. I think once they realize that and see the efforts that's being done. And the kind of buzz and that people want to travel and it'll help with the commerce in the city. I think then they'll be on board. But on paper, I just like you said, they'll just abstain and not want to do it. It's it's too much work to do it. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of that idea, right? Even though they'll earn the profits, you know, from the from the game. So there has to be some sort of accord with that. And obviously, once they see the first round of this um, creating the buzz before, I think that will really help. And maybe more teams will get on board after that.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good point. If the Federation can make a good case for how it would benefit any any club who's putting their stadium up for this, then they'll it will benefit them for sure. So as long as a good case is made to them as to the benefits that they can get, they should they should definitely get on board. And again, there's that added bonus that when it's your year to play the final in your stadium, You can fight that much harder and have that home field advantage. And again, that's more glory, more potential silverware and more money. So that's what else does a club clubs want other things. But what more could a club really ask for? (laughs) I mean, that's a good point,
0: because then they can raise the trophy in front of their home stadium with their home fans. And it's just kind of that added. A wow factor of that, you know. So especially with the Copa del Rey, where maybe some lower tier teams have a better opportunity of winning some hardware as opposed to La Liga or any other competition outside of that.
3: Right. Now after the break barcelona travel barca b and a full report on barca women from michelle taylor get commercial free episodes special bonus episodes and barca talk merch by becoming a monthly supporter just follow the link to patreon in the episode description All right, we're back and uh, just wondering if uh, any of you out there are looking to make travel plans to Barcelona this year, but maybe you still haven't booked anything. So here's what you should do. You should come in April next year when Barca Talk will be in Barcelona. This will be a first, first time. Uh, we'll be traveling there in conjunction with this really great travel package that the Los Angeles Pena has set up, but the package includes airfare from several major U.S. cities, hotel, hotel. Ticket to the match against Atletico Madrid. Ticket for a city bus tour and admission to the Camp Nou experience. And since this is going to be a special occasion for us, we'll be holding at least one special Barca Talk event there as well. So there is a link to check out the package in the description of this episode. You can also go to penyalosangeles.com slash travel. But, you know, we've been talking about this and we're going to keep talking about this uh, as the as the weeks go by. But this is very exciting for us, especially.
0: Yeah, because we're going to see each other in 3D, buddy.
3: Yeah, (laughs) not just as a floating head in a screen. Correct,
0: not just a floating head. I mean, I'm really excited for this. I I have some friends that are coming uh, as well, so it's going to be just a grand old event, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing... Some of the Pena members there, and I just think it's just going to be a really great environment, and especially it's going to be a tough match as well against Atletico, so that as well, and hopefully we're going to be able to do a Barca Talk live show as well, so that's what we're kind of trying to plan for, depending on when the game is played, obviously, so uh, with all these type of things, it's such a great package that the Los Angeles Pena were able to put together. It's uh, it's a great price. They also have some installment payment options as well. So just click on the link and follow that information. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you in Barcelona.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a good time, a good match. Barça Talk Live. It's uh, so many things will be happening. You know, you'll get you'll get sick of winning with this. <laughs> <laughs> so many good things. So many good things. Too many. Too many to count. Now, real quick with Barca B, they did chalk up their first win of the season in Segunda B last week against Sabadell. Uh, we're recording this before this weekend's match against Peralada, but we'll have a full report on Barca B next week from Max Bluer. Meanwhile, the Barca women's team have started their campaign in earnest, winning their first match over Athletic in the league, but losing in their first Champions League game. And here with a full report is Michelle Taylor.
1: This year's Barca Femini pre-season calendar was the best that we've seen in terms of the quality of the opposition. In past seasons, we've played Catalonia-based second division teams and won with scores of double figures to zero. Nice warm-ups, but not really fair assessments of where the team stands in relation to other top teams, which is the benchmark upon which we should be judging ourselves if we are to compete with the best in Europe. But we're still avoiding some of the pre-season tournaments, where women's teams get together for mini-tournaments, such as the Toulouse International Cup in France, or COTIF in Valencia. This year also saw the inaugural Women's International Cup in Miami, to which Barca was invited but declined, apparently due to doubt about when the Liga Iberdrola season would begin. Closer to home, new competitions were born. The Elite Women's Football Cup in San Sebastián, the United International Football Festival in the Canary Islands and the Friendship Tournament that was played in Spain and Gibraltar. It's at these tournaments where we can find top teams like Lyon, PSG and Bayern Munich as well as some notable Spanish teams such as Atleti Madrid and Real Sociedad. Barca's pre-season rivals were also notable teams. After returning from America where the game against SoCal FC was won 5 0 Barca played Chelsea at the mini and drew 1-1. Then it was off to England, to Manchester City, where we lost 2-0. Reports from those at the game indicate that the team looked unsharp and sluggish. Then Montpellier visited and scored two goals to our one. It was a mixed bag of results for the Blaugrana, and a season that in the end didn't really give any indication of where the team was at in terms of tactics and cohesion, especially when the injury list started to grow and we were missing three players who were at the Under-20 World Cup. Although the opponent's quality was a step up, I will still argue that a mini tournament is the best place to get into competition mode. Going to one location and playing several games in short succession and with a competitive edge has a better flow to a team's development than staggering one off games in between training sessions. Still, it was a step in the right direction for the team's preseason and the team should continue to build along these lines. For Barça Femini, the Copa Catalunya is played at the end of preseason. Barca has always reached the final, and in the 14 that have been played, Espanyol has been their opponent in 13 of them. Espanyol started the game strongly, but after Natasha Andonova scored in the 12th minute and Tony Dugan in the 15th, the game was Barca's, and we won 7-0. Natasha Andonova, Tony Dugan, and Haira Hamraui each scored braces, and Barbara La Torre added the 7th just before full-time. Barca has won nine of the 14 Copa Catalunya finals, and right-back Melanie Serrano has also won the same number, becoming the player with the most Copa Catalunya wins. It was a record that last year she shared with two other players, the retired Laura Raffles and on-loan Marta Unzue, who each had eight wins before this year. With pre-season over and the first international break taken for World Cup qualification matches, It was time for the Liga Ipadrola to begin, and our first game was a toughie, away to Athletic Club at Lazama. We don't do well there, and this year was no exception. We struggled to get the ball forward, and when we did, chance after chance went begging, as shots either missed the goal or were saved. The only goal came in the 21st minute. Vicky Lozada sent in a corner kick, and a Bilbao defender stuck out a foot and deflected the ball past goalkeeper Ainoa Tirapu and into the net. We then played the last 30 minutes with only 10 players when Melanie was booked for a second time and Red carded off the pitch. So hey, we'll take that win no matter how it came. It's early days yet in the league and the team doesn't appear to have hit its stride. We often look sluggish and out of ideas with most of the attacks coming as crosses from the wings. That wouldn't be too bad if Tony Duggan wasn't the only player in the box surrounded by defenders. Why aren't other players also coming into the box with her? And why isn't this being corrected by the coach? Play through the centre of the pitch is rare and one of the areas in which we were strong. I'm not sure what's going on, but I do hope whatever's broken is fixed soon. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long season for all of us. After returning from Bilbao on Sunday, the team hopped on another plane on Monday night to fly to Kazakhstan to play B-I-I-K Kazigord in the Champions League. A refuelling stop and 10 hours later, they arrived on Tuesday, training later in the day and then playing the game on Wednesday. I think that we can all say that the game didn't go to plan, at least for Barca. Unfortunately, the game wasn't televised, and in the brief highlights that we did get to see, Kazigot scored three goals, and we scored one. The first goal was awarded in the exact way in which Kazigot scored against us in 2015, with a referee giving the goal while the Barca players protested strongly that the ball hadn't crossed the line. UEFA live match commentary then became a nightmare to follow, going something like this. 60th minute, Barca takes the corner. 60th minute. Goal, Kazigot! It wasn't much fun, I can tell you. The team went into social media silence after the match, and that's continued for much of the week. Team coordinator Juan Ramos tweeted on Friday that after working perfectly that morning, the team bus had an air conditioning malfunction when transporting the players to the stadium for the game. Temperatures inside the bus rose to 40 degrees centigrade. That's 104 Fahrenheit. So the players didn't arrive in peak condition, either physically or mentally. Later on Friday, the Spanish Football Federation and the club issued statements to say that Sunday's Liga game against Levante was postponed because most of the Barca players had contracted gastroenteritis either on the return flight or upon returning to Barcelona. It seems that not all was well in the state of Kazakhstan. The Levante game will most likely be played in the middle of next week. As for the return match against Kazigut, that will be played in the mini-estadi on September 26th, Barca will have to go all-in and first cancel out their two-goal deficit to have any chance of winning through to the next Champions League round. Kazakhstan capers aside, it will be a huge upset if they fail to qualify, and some very tough questions will need to be asked. Viska Barca, Forza Barca femini.
3: That was Michelle Taylor. Follow her on Twitter at BarcaWomen to get regular coverage of the women's team. Next up when we return, is there such a thing as a disappointing victory? The first team slogged out a win out of the Anoeta, and it wasn't pretty, but it was an unlikely result. Hello, we're back. Now we're going to talk about the La Liga match against Real Sociedad at the Anahueta in San Sebastian. We won two to one, but it seemed like just barely. That was an interesting
0: thing. Disappointing victory. I don't know if it's disappointing, but I just, you know, as we always note, it's so difficult to play at this place. And then especially after the international break and at four o'clock, which is siesta time, you know, so those three things came together and we could tell from the first 20 minutes that it was going to be a slog fest. Like you said.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I I got to after, after the game, I was just thinking about it and I thought, you know, I'm of course I'm always glad for a victory. And uh, you know, for me, and I think a lot of Barcelona fans are like this. Some are more results oriented. um, You're more results oriented and others are more into the aesthetics of a particular style, a particular kind of beauty in the Barcelona game. Uh, But ideally, we mostly want wins. Right. And I and if we can get them wins that also look great and are super dominant and and all that sort of stuff. So I understand that that the real objective of of these uh, these games is to win. I understand that. And I love I love winning. I love seeing wins. But when they were playing the way they played on Saturday, uh, especially in that first half. It was disappointing to see, but it was still a good result and you know sometimes sometimes it happens and we've you 've talked a lot about how at least under val Green, we can still win ugly
0: i mean that 's true right I mean it's such a long campaign we have to be able to win ugly and in this match, you know maybe a mid tier team loses his match, but we 're able to make those key substitutions completely flip the tactics and the in the the team on its, on its end and able to get a victory when we looked like we were sleepwalking for the first 60 minutes of the match.
3: Yeah. And there were a couple of notable changes in the lineup, right? Yeah, there were some notable
0: changes. Um, you know, the first thing we had talked about was how Valverde was going to approach this, uh, these two matches, you know, especially with the champions league and this, this game at the Anoeta. the big thing that he did, you know, was to kind of change up the midfield. Uh, he brought in, Rafinha, uh, And after we talked about whether he was going to find some playing time, and here he goes, he starts in this match, which was, for me, not only a change, it was also surprising as well. But he also instituted Roberto and Rakitic in the midfield, utilizing a 4-3-3. And since Rafinha didn't have much playing time, to me, it just seemed his timing and movement just looked off with the other guys and, you know, for that, I think that was part of the reason why they kind of looked like they were sleepwalking because there was not that connection uh, in the midfield. What did you think about these changes that Val Green made?
3: Well, I was encouraged. I liked that he decided to start Rafinha, uh, of course. And again, th- there were disappointing aspects of it. But like you said, be- with Rafinha, I'm not too worried at this point because he hasn't been seeing many minutes lately He's he's not dialed in really. I I get that. I'm fine with um, I'm fine with there being some growing pains in these rotations because, you know, it's this very subtle balancing act that Val Green is getting more and more aware of. He said as much in his press conference leading up to this game that with. Sociedad. And then just a few days later, PSV and Champions League rotations are going to be necessary. So that was a good thing for us to hear. But whenever you do these rotations, especially when you bring in players who haven't been seeing minutes, you have to be willing to accept that it's not going to look really fluid. The chemistry is not going to be there yet. So I was encouraged to see him there. I was also uh, happy that Sergio Roberto and Samedo were starting because I know I understand the potential of that, which is that if Semedo doesn't quite deliver, if he doesn't show up, we can make one substitution, shift Sergio Roberto back into right back, and we have a whole new a whole new groove going. So I I I do like that lineup change. I have to say though that I'm starting to get a little nervous. Maybe that's the right word, but um, I'm not I'm not seeing Semedo really. You know, he keeps getting chances and uh, he's not quite delivering. He's, he doesn't seem to be really developing with the chances that he's getting.
0: I was watching the game yesterday with my friends and I said the exact same thing. I said the exact same thing because it's one thing, you know, when he goes forward and he's not making those connection passes, I can live with that. But the thing that he's not doing is being 100 percent defensively solid. Right. And those are some of the lapses that are happening, like with the goal that happened. He was a little bit out of place and just if anything i just want him to be 100% defensive first and then be the attacker then work on the attacking because that's really what his first you know goal should be is to be shutting down that attack on that side and when he's starting or when he's playing there's just too many holes and too many you know too many opportunities for the other team that's happening and like you said when the substitution comes in You can see the dynamic of the passing, the possession just completely changes. And I understand that, you know, we're putting in Coutinho on this and that, but at the same time, Semedo just has to lock down the fort first and then start
3: working on those connection passes with Dembele or Messi or whoever. Right. So we saw rotations, which is good. We've been hoping for that. And... Again, we do have to be willing to see some weakness in performance when the squad is rotated like this, especially in these these early weeks still. We're still just kind of getting into the league. Got to be willing to put up with some some weak performances for the benefit of having those rotations take place. Looking for a result, though, putting in Coutinho at the beginning of the second half was the best thing to do, I think.
0: I mean, of course. I mean, that just, he, you know, Coutinho is a game-changer. You know, he's, he's a he's a star player so of course just bringing him in obviously changes the game you know but if we go back to let's i just want to kind of focus on the Rafinha thing because you know we've talked about his progression this summer how we thought he was going to get more playing time and then he finally gets his playing time and he looks a little bit lost and he just kind of looked off and that just goes to as i have here in my notes i just want to see him play maybe every third game some finishing minutes just to get some more Repetition and some chemistry. He doesn't have to play the whole game, but when we need him to play the game, then he has already that ten minutes that he played in one game, another ten minutes there, and I think that ultimately is going to help us with our depth because then Rafinha is going to feel more confident. You know, I don't know if you saw him, but he just sometimes he's on the left, on the right, he didn't know to go forward. Sometimes he got stuck up forward on the counter, and so he just looked completely lost. And also with Rakitic in the middle playing kind of the Busquets role, I mean, he was fine, but. He also, he didn't trust Rafinha as much to give him the ball, and it, there was a lot of mis, misconnections all around. Uh, you know, when we tried to finally get the ball to the front three, they looked a little rusty. You know, like they were on international break, even though they played. All in all, I was just just trying to get this victory in these three points. That was the the end goal, and we did that. Unfortunately, it didn't it wasn't the most beautiful game to watch, but we got those three points, right?
3: Right. Well, along the way, and uh, I'll I'll pick up on Rafinha a little bit more. Uh, you, everything you said is absolutely correct, but it does also make me wonder, would Rafinha have played differently or looked differently if Busquets had been playing in that role instead of Rakitic? Because there were a number of different uh, tactical things that Val Green was doing for this match. Namely, the midfield three was, a, we've never seen that midfield three before. Th- those three have never done the midfield before and Rakitic he does it a little bit differently than Busquets and there were even times when he was dropping very deep back uh, with the center backs to form like a back three and Messi was dropping really deep taking on more like the attacking midfield role so that whole midfield project in this match was something different it wasn't just Rafinha but also Sergio Roberto still hasn't seen much time in the midfield either so it was a very odd uh, midfield three. And I do think that Rafinha wound up looking the worst out of them, but that whole midfield was experimental and different. So you can't expect to see a whole lot of chemistry coming out of that right now.
0: No, you have good points, And, and like I said, what's the end result? What, what do you want? You want to get the three points. And we did that. And we were able to do a, do it with a patchwork midfield. Yeah. Right. For most of the year, you know, and Busquets got the rest and that's good. So again, I'm happy with that, but I just think, We would have seen Rafinha perform better if he just would have got some more minutes, right? If you're asking Rafinha to play 80 minutes and then all of a sudden, you know, think that he's going to just have the performance of his life, you're kidding, right? Yeah, and then
3: take two weeks off.
0: Exactly, and then take two weeks off, you know? So, again, I want just more rotation. Obviously, this is better to do this now in the beginning where the games aren't as costly yet you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and if there's an injury or we need someone to spell them for rest we can do that but we just have to keep plugging and playing and hopefully they just get better chemistry and better you know performances but again i'm still at a loss with the formation i think there's a lot of spacing that we're not utilizing with our players i just think everything is just kind of wrong even though we're still getting the results you know i just think we could score more goals and just be more effective in the different type of formation or just using a different i don't know just like yesterday the whole right
3: side for the most of the part was not being used right that's true well let me talk about sociedad for a minute because they came into this match with a perfectly mixed record right one win one draw one loss in that order those were all on the road as the renovations were still underway at the Anoeta, and they are still underway, but they're at least open for business. Now this was their first home game of the season. And if nothing else, uh, it's a much better atmosphere for football now that they've gotten rid of that running track around the field. So that was nice. And their new manager, Asiero Garitano is having them play some genuinely positive football too. And all of his lineups have been some form of four, three, three, and they came out with a similar lineup for this match. and, looking specifically at at their defensive action you know so often we talk about an opponent in terms of how they defended because you know we are known to be you know very possession based and strongly attacking and it's often assumed that our opponent will not be as strong, so they have to really think about how they're going to defend. And so often it's the same kind of, you know, bus parking strategy that we've seen so many times. But I am starting to sense a trend of more teams playing us more positively, and I welcome it because it's better football. And these guys started with a really strong pressing game, looking to control the center, and they found a lot of success. They held us to only three shots in the first half and you could say that that was also due to uh, factors coming from our end that we weren't clicking we weren't finding the spaces we weren't doing well Barcelona weren't doing their job offensively to get into spaces and open things up but I think that also their pressing game from Sociedad was was very good and they held us to very few shots of course they couldn't keep it up at a good pace for a full 90 though because that's very hard.
0: No, that's a good point. And you know, for the most part, you know, it's funny because I love how the different platforms that we use or what we watch give different formations, right? Because yeah. I'm on Who Scored and they have a four, one, two, one, two.
3: Whoa. <laughs> that's very specific.
0: <laughs> Correct. But then when you look at the when you look at the field, it looks like a four, three, one, two. And I, you know, I think it was a unique strategy, right? Because they were able to press, but what they did compared to, for example, Huesca, they were able to have both those forwards on the counter as opposed to just one right so they were able to count on the left or the right and i think that was the difference and since barcelona didn't have our dynamic midfield that we usually do our midfield got sucked in a lot of the times which allowed those counters over the top of them and so that, i think that was the difference you know if busquets is playing and maybe coutinho the whole match maybe they don't they have half as many counters because We don't have to commit so many players to be so dynamic in the attacking, right? But since Rafinha and Rakitic and uh, Roberto were trying to do so much, they were coming in very close to the attack zone. And then when they lost the ball, for whatever reason, the two forwards were outlets and ready to go for those counters. And that just happened more in this match. And obviously it was hot. That was the first thing. It was a hot and humid day, four o'clock kickoff international break you know the first 20 minutes you know dictated that you know and you could see that was going to be uh you know how many counter opportunities that sociedad have in this match I mean I remember specifically in the second half at least four or five first half they had two or three and Ter Stegen had to come up big in those opportunities
3: as well yeah and he was no doubt the man of the match because there were three very very good or threatening counter attacks from Sociedad in that second half and each one of and it all happened in the space of Ten minutes or less, and all three of them, Terstegen, shut them down and made saves. So he was definitely the man of the match because he allowed the the two goals that we did get to be decisive. Speaking of our defense, you know, because we gave up that first goal on the on a second ball and a free kick, and it was a crack of a shot from Aritz, and it was just one of those goals. The way I see it, it was one of those goals that you can't exactly plan for. It wasn't really a, a some defensive breakdown. It was, uh, there was an odd bounce. There was a deflection off of Sergio Roberto and the bounce just went Sociedad's way. But Ariz put in a crack of a shot to get that first goal. But apart from that, we did hold Sociedad to two shots in the first half and six in the second. But of course we were opening up more in the second half as well. And then, and then again, Ter Stegen made those three huge saves on three counterattacks that we did not handle well.
0: Yeah, you have a good point. But you know, on that first goal, I do blame Sergio Roberto. Okay. Just kidding. I don't. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. Oh, right. No, but
3: it was just, no, no, I
0: was just kidding. No, but for that corner kick, like I said, corner kicks are the hardest thing to defend, right? There's so much. Chaos going on in there, and that's exactly what happened. The ball fell free, and he was able to connect and hit the post perfectly inside. And uh, we were—I t- was talking with my friends because my friend is a huge Black fan. And the whole time we had been watching matches during the day. So we first started watching the Liverpool Tottenham match, and then we watched this match, and then we watched I think the Manchester United match, and then a little bit of the Valencia match as well. So we were just hanging out talking about this, and and we kept always saying anytime a goal came through, it was like, would black stop that? <laughs> and that was kind of the marker. And so for this goal, I mean, it was just a great shot, right? Just a, just a fantastic finish. But again, it goes back to the opportunities that Sociedad had in the, in their counterattacks. You know, that's why they're a mid tier team because if they just would have made that one goal to go up two nothing, maybe the game is completely different, right? All of a sudden it's, it's a bigger uphill for us to go to climb. And who knows what happens? Obviously, Tristan came through, but again, it's just, the tactics of that with the with the counter was really nice of what real sociedad did and i think that more teams are going to take that strategy of trying to have two outlets against
3: barca especially if they're on the road yeah but surprising that the one goal they did score came from a defender meanwhile they had all these great counterattacks where you had strikers free in on goal the only person between them and a goal was Terstegan and I mean, Ter Stegen made these great saves. He came out of his box nicely. He stopped them. He made great saves. But I, it also makes me think that Sociedad's center forwards aren't as strong. They they can't they can't finish. They can't close the deal because if you're in that situation, especially three chances like that in a, in such quick succession, one of your center forwards should be able to to finish that. And I mean, I'm glad they didn't. Don't get me wrong, but it, it does show tactically there's this great stuff that they're doing but in the finishing it's just it just wasn't there
0: yeah it's a good point and that's the thing is like who knows if they're even practicing those situations coming from that angle, because that's such a hard angle to finish because you have the keeper coming out at you. You, you know, it's very difficult to score. So again, I'm, like you said, I'm glad that it weren't able to finish, obviously to coming up huge, but again, it just kind of, you know, these are the type of matches that are the most difficult, a road match, especially after a break. Um, we're not really up for it because real Society isn't really a rival for us, you know, even though they play us tough all the time. But I'm just glad we were able to get the points. We were able to survive their onslaught of those counters in that second half. What was that like? A six-minute span where they had three opportunities. Yeah. Of you know, it was just it, it was just like fast. one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it exactly. Very fast. <laughs> it was very fast. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, I'm just glad that Ter came up huge, and we were able to take that one opportunity, especially in the next goal in the 63rd minute, to
3: finally get on the board. Yeah. Well, both our goals. This is another thing, because speaking of other games we were watching, um, Megan is getting into Manchester City now, and so we watched the Man City-Fulham match just before I watched the Barcelona match, and so I think that's where the seeds of this disappointing victory started to uh, germinate, right? Because, you know, Man City are playing such beautiful, dominant football right now that then switching over to watching us in this game and we at times look like that like last season we certainly at times looked that good uh, but just not in this match because uh, both of our goals were these sloppy dead ball goals kind of similar to the one that Sociedad scored Uh, at least I would say on the second goal it really has to go to Coutinho for forcing Rui he made this great shot and he really forced Rui to make the save that led to the corner kick because he just had to push it out and it went past the goal line to get the corner kick that led to our second goal but both of the goals that we scored were again not um, not necessarily well built up or developed they were a little sloppy came from dead ball situations again I'm not complaining about the results (laughs) and I'm not even complaining about how things happened just I'm just uh, observing (laughs) that this is where our goals came from in this match?
0: I mean, I was complaining to my friends yesterday about how you know, we don't have to be so conservative sometimes, you know we can still impose and be more attacking and try to get those goals even with the with the, the lineup that we had, we could have just changed maybe the formation and use the spacing a little bit more maybe put Dembele and Suarez up top as a tandem and Messi behind them, maybe that would have done something different who knows, but you know, for the second half of that, maybe 20 to 25 minutes stretch, we were completely dominant, you know, with Coutinho shooting, when he hit that corner, you know, when he hit that, uh, when he came in through the box and hit that shot, we all, my friends and I, we all stood up like, Oh my God, here comes a goal. Yeah. But it was a great, it was a great save. And of course, you know, these two goals off a corner kick because they were not short corners. Let me just mention that yeah, not short corners. And obviously it was just a scrum, you know, for the first one, It was funny because as I talked about the O'Block comparison, you know, so the first one, if O'Block is in goal for Real Sociedad, do we get that goal? Probably not. Because O'Block could probably uh, punch it out a little bit better, but unfortunately Real Sociedad doesn't have O'Block and we were able to capitalize. Suarez was able just to sweep up that slop. You know, that's just a typical, just kind of scrum type of corner kick goal, which is great. You can get anything you can. Right. And the second one just really bad punch by the goalkeeper. He completely misses the ball, is out of position, falls on the ground, and Dembele is able to one time it and it ricochets off a couple people and goes into the net. So, being at the right place at the right time for Dembele, again, he's off to a great campaign, another goal. And as we stated before, you know, obviously with the balance of scoring, we don't have to depend on Messi scoring completely.
3: Right. And you were mentioning how the space on the right wasn't there, particularly in the first half. And I do think that that had a lot to do with placing Dembele more on the left. You know, I mean, he's, a, he's obviously a really talented kid, uh, but right now he just seems to me to be more threatening when he's coming down the right side versus the left.
0: But it, it all just stems from Messi. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, what do you want from Messi. Do you want him to be on the right side in the true 433? Then put him there in the 4-3-3, but tell him that he cannot get the ball because he needs to occupy that space, right? But we know that's a waste of, of space and talent, essentially, right? Because we know Messi can do so much more with the attack, with the passing, everything. So we want him to play more middle. But if that happens, you have to find the spaces somewhere up front. Either play with Coutinho or with Dembele and Suarez up top as a tandem or have another person on the third and have Messi as, like, a false nine behind them. You know what I'm saying? But I just feel like Valverde doesn't know what he really wants to put Messi. And with that happens, you can see that Dembele off to the left. Then when he goes to the right, Suarez kind of is around there too. We just kind of – I don't know. We just still – it just obviously changes when Coutinho comes because then all of a sudden we have set roles, you know. Dembele goes to the right. Suarez Coutinho then Messi has a more free-flowing form and that's to me that's why I'm, I've been screaming from the mountain tops for the 4-2-3-1
3: right but but do you agree with me that Dembele often plays better on the right than the left
0: yes I do I think he's completely <laughs> sorry he's completely comfortable that because if you think about his his cracking goals they come from the right side where he can shoot with his left you know and so he's completely comfortable with that Now he's just doing what Valverde is telling him to do on the left and he can't really do anything about it. But yes, because if he's on the right, Brian, if he's on the right side, that means Coutinho is on the left. And then we're at full throttle, right? full red rocket, buddy.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Now with Dembele on the left, uh, another thing that I don't see from him very much, and maybe this just isn't part of his game or where he's comfortable, but he doesn't really drive all the way down to the end line and then put it cut it back with a cross in or anything if he could work that into his game then he could be much more threatening on the left who's he going to cross to well that's that's not the (laughs) issue I'm trying to deal with right now I'm just (laughs) well I think I'm also just pointing out this aspect of Dembele's game which is that he tends to he gets about halfway he gets yeah he gets down to about essentially in line with where the penalty spot is right somewhere wherever he is Mm -hmm. on the pitch and then he comes back he doesn't drive all the way down and, and if yes. we had if we had a little bit more of that action, especially coming from him on either side, then we, you know, we can get that little bit more space. We can try and create more chances. Maybe he's putting it in for Suarez. Maybe he's maybe he's cutting it back for Messi.
0: But the thing is, the midfield isn't trying to go into the box. You know, as we t- when we talked about the Spain-Croatia match this week, that's been the biggest difference from the old than the new that the midfielders are crashing into the box. And if they're crashing in the box, then go to the end line and put it across because then you have more bodies there, but we just don't do that. Right. I mean, when you look and we go out to the end, we have people around because we want to keep the possession. We don't want to lose the possession on the end. And so again, it's just the mixing of that philosophy, right? right. So, well,
3: that's exactly what you're saying when you're talking about Val Green's conservatism, right? Is that he's, he's not telling the midfielders to crash into the box. Exactly, exactly, because it doesn't want to be counted on the counter, right? Because
0: if we lose the ball because it's a 50-50, that could happen. But again, when if Dembele beats his man and goes to the end line, then it should just be like everyone needs to go to the middle of the bus because he's going to have an opportunity to get a crossing. But obviously, if he's dancing in front and doesn't have a clear cross, then obviously work it around. But, you know, you I mean, when was the last time, for example, Roberto had a header? Right. Or Rakitic or Busquets, you know? I came into maybe once in five years, maybe. Right. Yeah. So, so again, it's just a type of philosophy. Obviously I would like to see it because I think as we see in the Spain Croatia game, that's just the evolution that needs to happen now because they're giving you that baseline. So you take it, make a good cross. I mean, the goal is to try to score a goal. You know, you can't just always possess it and move it around. We can't have everything, Brian. No, can't have everything. I
3: understand. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, to kind of tie this up and start to look forward, To what's happening. You know, again, we've been we've been calling for more squad rotation since the loss to Roma last year. And Val Green recognized the need for it in his press conference ahead of this match with PSV on Tuesday and Girona next weekend. So that's what we got. And it didn't look good, but it's important to keep rotating them. Let it look bad now so that it looks good later. Although this is my last talking point. I'm starting to lose faith in Samedo, right? I mentioned this earlier, but, uh, you know, he was subbed off at halftime for the second time this season. And is he going to get many more chances?
0: I mean, that's a good point. But like you said, we need to keep this rotation. As long as we're getting the results right now, and we keep going forward, and these players are starting to get more opportunities, and I think in the long run, it's going to be the best for us. But again, that is true. If Tomato starts to lose, well, I, Valverde starts to lose confidence in Tomato, then he's going to use Roberto more, and obviously that's going to make our team stronger because I think when Roberto plays on the right back, our team is just completely different than when Tomato is. It's just night and day with the right side of the connection passes. So we'll see in the next matches what happens with Tomato.
3: Yeah, and I'm again that comes back to uh, how how uh, new and different that particular midfield was. I know that probably didn't help Samedo a whole lot to look good. Uh, You know, he's got a lot of speed. He's got skills on the ball. Uh, There are still issues with sort of spacing and when he goes forward or when he doesn't. Uh, And his defensive work rate, as you've mentioned already. Um, So I I don't think I think he will get more chances. The question for me is how many more. And when he gets those chances, will it be with a more uh, a more standard midfield, a more standard 11? Uh, where he 's really able to kind of like work into the uh let 's call it the core system uh versus these alternative systems because that's that's uh, we saw difficulties for a lot of people uh on our on our squad in this match because of of the uh, the alternativeness of val green 's tactic right but if you put him into like a slightly more standardized a little more core setup. Will he do better? Maybe, and I do think he'll he'll get more chances, and I hope that he can improve upon them. S- similarly, I hope that Sergio Roberto can work his way into midfield more. He still looks like he's like he's trying to figure it out, and he's working his way in. Of course, I love him, and I have high hopes for him. But then again, I've also just accepted that he might just be a right back for the rest of his life. And that's fine because he's great at it. As long as he's on the pitch, I think we're going to have some some good moments from him. Now, so another fun thing, though, is that we won at the Anuetta And we won there last year. But before that, we had not won at the Anuetta since 2007. So no matter how they played, they are definitely breaking off from that curse, which is nice.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And go- I just want to kind of tie up with the tomato. I just want him to be a lockdown defender, Mm -hmm. right? I just want him on that side that we just never feel nervousness on the crosses or on corner kicks. I just want him to be super physical that, you know, what he is, fast, chasing down those balls and just be a lockdown defender then focus on the other things but i just think that's what's lapsing you know like he's got too many things that he's trying to learn you know with the connection the passes that he's losing the focus of being a lockdown defender so i want him to to become that and i think everything else will proceed from that again great thing valverde 2-0 again now at the anoeta now two consecutive seasons so again breaking off that curse and again Winning ugly is part of the campaign. So embrace it. Embrace it. You know, we got the points. And, you know, obviously some matches, we're going to be Picasso. We're going to look amazing. Passing galore. You know, these amazing passes. And sometimes, especially hopefully in the Champions League, these are the times that you have to win ugly away from home.
3: Right. So looking at La Liga, we're for 4 now. and, And with the draw between Athletic and Real Madrid... We're definitely at the top of the table, which is great. And looking ahead, we have Girona next weekend. We, Of course, we have PSV during the week this week. And then we have Girona, Leganés, and Athletic Club in the league before meeting Tottenham in London. So the next, well, this week in particular, you know, we have uh, some commitments. And then we have a little bit more just week one game a week for a little while. But then we got to be looking at Tottenham.
0: Tottenham. Tottenham. I'm not scared. I'm not scared of this team at all. Really? I can tell you. No. This team is the most overrated team in the EPL right now. I watched the whole game against Liverpool. They are they're not as good as people think. I mean, I watched them. I am not scared of them at all. They they're a farce. Like they still have a way to go. Now, obviously playing at home in London, maybe they'll be geared up because it's against us and it's a Champions League, but what I saw against Liverpool, just not impressed. They have – they're passing through the midfield. Oh, my gosh. I mean, and they're playing with their top team too. It's just – it doesn't even – can't even put a candle to our passing when we're with our strongest 11. I mean, so I'm not worried as much before – well, then I watched this Liverpool, and they were playing at home, too. Tottenham was playing at home, and Liverpool dominated the possession and them all throughout the park. Obviously, Tottenham scored a late goal to make it a little bit competitive, but the whole match was dominated by Liverpool's uh, countering possession. And so, I'm Brian, I'm not scared of this Tottenham match at London anymore.
3: Fantastic. But before that, we do have PSV at the Camp Nou on Tuesday. And because of these rotations that we saw this weekend against Osasuna, I think we can... Uh, pretty safely assume exactly which 11 he's going to line up against PSV, right? It's, we're going to have Coutinho, Dembele, Suarez, Messi Mm -hmm. up top. We're going to have Busquets, Rakitic behind them. And then we're going to have our solid back for Sergio Roberto, PK, Umtiti, Alba. And of course, you're in goal, the man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely what's going to happen with this. I'm. He wants to start off this campaign on the strongest foot and just kind of really get some goals in there to to create some distance at the top. And hopefully, you know, that'll just start our campaign for this year, because obviously, as Messi said, it's one of the goals for the season. So let's see how they do against PSV. PSV has nothing to lose. So that, they're always going to be a dangerous team. But I definitely think we should be able to secure those points. And I see maybe like a 3-0 win, something like this at least. Nice.
3: Because then next weekend we have Girona. And Girona's honestly, I think is a really good-looking team this year. They just got Eusebio Sakusten and a uh, Barcelona alumni, Dream Team alumni, uh, managing uh, he's got them playing some really positive football. I think we're going to see another good match, right, of uh, some midfield battles, some uh, some pressing games on both sides. But thinking about the lineup again for that, I think we'll hopefully we should see at least one or two more rotations. Maybe he'll, maybe Val Green will come back to uh, this project that he started this past weekend in San Sebastian. Maybe he'll try a couple other uh, alternations, a couple other substitutions, but I imagine next week against Girona that might be Semedo's next chance. Uh, maybe Rafinha again. And continuing to put Rakitic in that central midfield role yeah
0: I mean I'm going to be in Barcelona this weekend I don't know if I'm going to the match yet uh, that's still I'm still trying to work that out but I will be in Barcelona so like you said Harona is a team that just also plays not to lose type of style right and they're not scared of Barcelona at all so this is going to be an interesting matchup but ultimately I think just our talent especially with this long kind of break we're playing on Tuesday and I believe the match is on Sunday it is yeah. so I think that yeah so that gives us a A good amount of time to recover so I think we should be okay against Girona Uh, you know again like I said Girona plays you know they they play with nothing to lose so they're a scary team on paper but I think ultimately Barcelona should get those three points in that match
3: as well yes now let us put we just want to put it out to you listeners are there any new rotations you'd like to see from Valverde who isn't getting the time they deserve who were getting more than they deserve? Tell us what you think at barsatalk.net. Special thanks today to our Barcel women expert, Michelle Taylor. Follow the team on Twitter at Barcel women. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. So go to BarcaTalk.net slash support to see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution. And Visca Barca.
1: Sports social Podcast Network.